Triskelion 13, a Ronin on the Rakal throne world. I survived, Salacris. I shall survive my siblings. My mother is another matter, though. I grimaced. I wasn't ready to visit the Queen Mother. Yet even now, I hurtled toward the center of Rakalian power. No, not the government on planet Rakal, as most schoolchildren would expect, and many an adult. No, no, in high geosynchronous orbit, above Homeworld, loomed Heavensward 12, throne ship to the Universalis Mega Congregation, somewhat affectionately referred to as the Queen Mother's Nest. Heavensward 12 was fully space-constructed and measured in kilometers. Large titanium and plexiluminol ziggurats jutted in all directions. Each ziggurat spanning out from Heavensward's trunk was outfitted with a dozen or more railguns. Multiple rotations aided artificial gravity in the colossal towers. From a far distance, Heavensward 12 looked like a giant pufferfish with very large rotating spines. Many of those spines detached to become their own spacecraft carriers. While Heavensward was a planetary defense satellite, I also knew that Heavensward peered planetward to protect Rakal from internal disruptions as well. The closer I approached Heavensward in my shuttle, the smaller I felt. She filled the screen while I was still kilometers away. Docking rubrics were being fed into the command console, but I refused to be controlled. Not after being buried alive at the bottom of Salacris's tomb world. Peterson, I barked. The physic pilot turned a familiar reptilian, not ape-like, gaze to me. What was that, Prince Grobaba Derome? Salacris still clung to me, clung to my thoughts, heading to the giant blowfish, the most enormous ship in the tri. My mind was still on Salacris. I did not acknowledge my mental slip, but pushing forward, I said, Pilot, belay docking. What? I can't do that, Your Excellency. I'll lose my license. For a brief moment, I thought about asking his name, bringing warmth to the conversation, and with my psych training and my will. But no, Salacris was cold. I would need to be cold. I am not here to compete for Mother's affection or the rulership. Let them have it. I am here to make war by the war god Karats. I must utterly dismiss bureaucracy and bureaucrats. While such could be used with preparation, today I had to risk defying convention. If the rumor were true, if the Cell Arthro had penetrated the royal palace, I trembled for my people. I ordered, and I tell you, pilot, Coordinates FF-1. Sir, I, I mean, Your Excellency, I cannot... I, I mean, rumor has it that the Queen Mother herself will be meeting you today, sir. Crowds have started to gather on the Presidio lawn. He was so shocked, I thought he would rise from the pilot's cockpit to face me. Previously, he had hidden within his cockpit and within his job, intimidated by my presence. I was one of the twelve princes for all Rakalian congregations, after all. I replied to him evenly. Do you have direct orders from my mother, the Queen Mother? No, sir. His long, thin, psych tongue flicked out three times, most likely a nervous habit. I said, mincing no words, Then who rules here? He nodded. You do. 
then turn the ship. No, and do not inform flight control. His chromatones in his arm rolled purple. Good, let him panic a little. I have only begun. The comlink started with distracting chatter, but they knew who was aboard. Turn it off, I demanded. Yes, Your Excellency. Coordinates FF1 punched in. Princess Fendelorata. I've never been in conflict with her, or seriously with any of my siblings, not since the crash, not since Castagenesee. She stood out on the chrome-polished docking apron, a shining, stellar figure arrayed in lightning diamonds and bloodied rubies sewn about her finery. She looked every inch the ruler as she towered over the throng who never went closer than four paces to her. Her jawline had the slight, snaky curve revealing her heavy psych strain, but the muscular tail that rushed underneath the red silk was all drone and physic. I'd have to watch that. Princess Fendelorato, or Fenfen as I called her, used the sickle in debate, flattering even as opposing, harvesting allies after conflict. However, to pull off such harvesting, she needed a position of strength did she have that now? And I just didn't see it? She strode toward me, crossing the dock. Her opening gambit walked through that lovely, sinewy body, perfecting every reptilian curve. Rows of potent white teeth serrated to emphasize, or was it to taunt her availability? But my sister's appearance was not my concern. She played to the vidscopes. I brushed past the docking officials. She had drones holding her blood-red dress trail. Twenty drones, fanned out, encircling Fen-Fen and I. Her diaphanous red dress's expansive train was held by her drones and unfolded again and again as the drones fanned out around us. The drone brigade pushed or tossed aside with one arm any foolish enough not to get out of the way. Soon, we had to dock to ourselves, two alone in the center of a sea of blood-red silk. I said, I assume this is Blockerda, gesturing loosely to the dramatic crimson covering the dock floor. Fendelorata answered. Her sleeves covered her arms, but I did not need to see her chromatoma to hear the stress in her voice. Yes, within the dress skirts. We are blessedly alone, and this will be the only time during our visit, Gora, that we will be alone. I know what a monster you are. I will not have you barging through my operations, my restoration. Restoration. I casually fingered my war staff, my infamous decantanta. Not lost in her, she eyed the ten-segmented decantanta out of the side of her eyes for any sign of movement. Oh, girl, are you so out of touch? The praxis has fallen away. Attendance has fallen below what penitents can pray for their ancestors. That made me hold on to my war staff for support. Inconceivable. The law. The liturgy. Now it was I who stammered. She smiled, obviously enjoying the shift in the conversation. The law repealed and the liturgy reduced to the golden rule and golden mean. No, the drones. Yes, they attend, but at numbers 10% less for the last three years, and the sight cast has dropped well below representation at each liturgical reaffirmation of holiness. I waited. For some reason, Fen-Fen was enjoying relating this cultural disaster to me. Fen-Fen watched me and saw that I was not going to keep stammering. 
Yes, well, change opens opportunity, Gora. Self-harm and vice may have skyrocketed, particularly among the Sykes, but also among the Physic cast. Slowest among the drones, but that's to be expected. They are big laconic lumps, after all. It is being called the Great Fall by the clergy and the Great Awakening by the merchants. Fen-Fen continued happily. But I say, how long before the humans and wolvens find out and take advantage of our instability, Gora? There are actual food lines in some places on Homeworld. Homeworld? Weaker confederacies are foundering. War and rumors of war. Fires spread across Rakal. Now, we need your monstrous strength, Gora, to impose order. The masses love the strong, silent type. Few words to trouble their sleepy consciences. Your card is ranked fourth in popularity. Did you know that, Gora? Will you abandon your people to chase after some silly Cell Arthro war declaration? You, of all princes, have walked your own path, disdaining money, disdaining organization, even disdaining shadow diplomacy. I could hear the clickety-clack of her inner jaw chuckling. I had had enough of her inverted praise. Yet for all my poverty, sister, I could kill you now and swim back to my ship in the blood of your followers. Fen-Fen's eyes, filled with dread, were drawn to the ten-segmented decantanta staff I held. She thought she knew what we were capable of, decantanta and I, and it was enough for the purple to show through her red sleeves. A test of wills. She lost as soon as she made vain threats. My marksmen are too slow, and my twelve brains are fully redundant, sister, and if necessary, remote. Impossible. The technology doesn't exist. Her eyes now never left the decantanta. I offered too much time in diplomacy, and not enough in the biolabs. Fen-Fen, we were gifted the most amazing machines in the multiverse, and you did not think to equip it and optimize it? Now it was her turn to stammer. She was aghast at me and said, Not my brains. You... You are a monster, but but I don't care. You are Ronin. I am like the water angel Cassius. My rivers reach to all corners. My organization is the rain. Even should you... I interrupted her threat. You look as lovely in your fierceness as the thunderstorms our mother told us about on our birthing day. Enough. I apologize. I meant no threat in our banter. Fen-Fen said, You think me a fool? I could smell... Yes, I was serious. But you, you weren't going to follow through. I could smell that on you, sister. Her jaw clenched shut momentarily, an accidentally submissive gesture on her part. Then what do you want with me? What do you intend to do? You've insulted Mother by not visiting her first. Dangerous. What is so important? Our brother Dora. Oh, please. The hermit brings up the lackwit. This is a waste of my time. Fenfen played her opening gambit to withdraw from me now that she knew I was serious. Deadly serious. Only you think he's a lackwit because he refused you. Enough. That has nothing to do with you. And with a pointed derisive stare, Fenfen said, And never will, you dronish, muscle-bound hermit. Fenfen had an irrational hatred of drones. I had never discovered why. 
I wasn't here to trade insults. She was still trying to retreat from this encounter. I needed the information on the Queen Mother. I needed confirmation. I waited. She knew what I was asking, yet she denied it. I don't know. You think too much of me. I stay on the periphery of the palace. Our mother is dangerous, Gora. She lumbers with royal edicts and smashes well-laid plans in the name of motherly kindliness. It's best to stay away from her. But you have contingencies for her network. I fixed her with my stare. I needed more bait. Sister, I intend to pursue this. You can either be in on my results, or you can freeze on the pole. She laughed, trying to be dismissive. We're not children anymore, but I take your point. To get the plant you want in the royal palace, and it will be a cutoff, an isolated contact, mind you. I won't risk any other assets or any chance that Mother can trace this escapade of yours to me. Hurry up. I'm starting to pick up countervalence in my neural net. Cut to the chase and kill. What do you want to find out? What could the cell Arthro have to do with the royal palace? I thought, no, not too fast. That countervalence was another conversational feint for her to get out of my range. Fenfen had never felt physically imposed upon, and so she subconsciously, or perhaps consciously, wanted out of this conversation. Not yet, Fenfen. Her espionage countermeasures had to be better than what she was letting on. I asked, what's going on with the bishops? Who were the supermajority of bishops who relaxed orthopraxis in the Church of Universalis? You share everything with me, then? Fenfen reached out for the bargain I had implied. Share everything? We both knew that was not going to happen. But she would get the Allies' portion of information if she cooperated. Otherwise, she was frozen out on the polar ice caps. I said, I want to give you all the information you can handle on this. You are needed in the war effort against the cell. She snorted. I can't believe, Salacris. Don't speak lightly of what you haven't seen. I've seen the holos. My turn to snort. Who really lowered the orthopraxis? Which bishops? Not bishops, but mother. The bishops listened to her? Oh, you are such a child, Gora. What am I doing aligning myself to you? You want change? I will bring change. You will know in advance. Fenfen could not keep the avarice from her eyes. Her tail twitched in anticipation. Then go. Make a mess and report back to me. But you'll have to stay alive for a few days for me to get confirmation. This time, I let Fendlorata withdraw. I had the commitment, and I also had my next stop in mind. I gambled on Mother's patience with me and took a shuttle planetside. I needed to hear for myself. On the orbital plane, I slept as the AI in my war staff kept watch over me. Later, I reviewed my bodily notes with my scientific team. I masked some of the data as hypothetical variables. I needed to check my own calculation without letting them know about the captured technology in play. If what the AI of my internal nanite net was telling me through my war staff's interface my cybernetic systems contained the cell parasitic infection I had picked up on Salacris and separated out the principal cell arthro organelles. These organelles were now functioning under the direction of my nanites. 
I had additional hardware on order and flashed several squads of nanites to better process the information from the cell arthro-organelles and route the chemical processes into a closer union to my own. At this rate, before the end of the day, I would be able to mimic the parasitic effect of the cell arthro with my own praxis contemplation. But my purpose, of course, was to be able to free my brethren if an event like Colony Salacris occurred again. Could I resist the temptation to use the cell organelles now under my command for my war? I shuddered at the thought of my own corruption. Planetside, now, I entered Bishop Laurence's home, a small cliffside home on the far side of the cathedral, humble for his exalted station. His flock numbered in the millions. His Church of Unicyclopia was in communion with the mega-congregations that made up Church Universalis, but they were much more bound to the physical and science disciplines. Because he was outside of normal channels, maybe, just maybe, this bishop could help me separate gossip from fact. Laurence was psych-cast, a rarity in the contemplative orders, but then again he was also a leader of his flock. I doubt he had much time for contemplative prayer with his worldly duties and wrestling with the stormy mind of a psyche. He was 180 pounds with a dark green complexion to his scales. His eyes on the side of his head were bulbous, giving him an almost comical look. His snout only extended about four inches, not uncommon for psych cast to have a shorter snout, and he revealed the famously delicate needle-like teeth of the psych cast that kept dentists safely ensconced in posh seaside mansions. He bowed deeply before me, before I had a chance. This was a bit off-putting as my status as a princeling was famous, exalted, but ultimately unofficial. I returned the bow and held it another moment, an homage to acknowledge a consecrated Rakhalian's dedication to contemplative prayer. The formalities were surprisingly short, but Laurence was a busy bishop. He said, Prince Gorobabadurum, how may I be of service to you? Could you stay for the week's service? A broadcast of this event would increase attendance. Think of... I cut him off, sorry as I was. No, Your Excellency, it is not safe to be around me if rumors are true. The bishop's arms roiled ever so slightly mauve purple. Laurence understood high court politics. Well then, how may I help, if help is truly what you seek? And by that, he meant the help he would give would only conform to the golden rule and golden mean. Good, good for him. It was time to pray. The bishop smiled as I brought out my missile as the clock struck the half hour. Orthopraxis may have relaxed, but I retained the right of choice. I would follow the path of discipline all the days of my life and began my prayers, my adoratio to the one true God beyond me. By the time we finished, my heart were bursting with joy and hope. I sorely needed that. After the contemplative six minutes where we listened in silence for God, the bishop spoke. So, you hold to the old ways. You've been off-world a long time. You don't know of the great fall yet? I said, I have read of prophets in times of trouble, and now is just such a time. But the bishop quickly shook his head, and the chroma on his arms rolled blue in mild embarrassment. He waved a hand, bringing up a holographic infodex. Holograms of charts appeared and rotated before us, large, bold text highlighted in colors that shifted as the titles went to new values indexed against joy. 
cross-indexed with postings condoning or even espousing the 20 vices, and again referenced against various indicators of criminal and antisocial and self-destructive behavior. Looking at it all, a hollow feeling entered my chest. No, no, I muttered, my God, are we beginning to resemble humans? If these trends are maintained, in a louder voice I said, so, we will restore praxis. The bishop slowly shook his head while keeping a firm gaze locked with mine. Many disagree as to the cause of the falling joy index, Prince. The release from the sacred duty of praxis was hailed as freedom. And despite the evidence, they won't suffer themselves to be contradicted at this stage. I asked, and in the privacy of their hearts? Laurence replied tersely, The privacy of their hearts does me no good. His vehemence took me aback. He began to rail at me. I am bishop. I am bishop at the sufferance of the Queen Mother's congregants. They attend. Even though it is a pasty, thin gruel of a service, her followers attend the new liturgy, and importantly they tithe, and attend the new parliamentary proceedings as well. They devour my time with nouveau stunts and dramas that have nothing to do with adoratio. The best I and brothers of like mind can do is surreptitiously sponsor those who are willing to pursue praxis services. My fellow bishops and I shoulder the cost and training to hold them while I am bound to serve the new, perfunctory, stripped-down praxis. For a moment, I thought he would literally spit on the ground. There was no help for me here. Bishop Lawrence could barely help himself. I paid my respects and left. He had confirmed Fen-Fen's caricature of our people. Time to find Dora and see how he reacted to this so-called Great Awakening. I found myself wandering in the nature lands I had visited in my youth, a reservation for iconoclasts, heretics, madmen, and cults. There were few rules other than no help or services from the congregations would be provided while on nature land grounds. Oddly enough, it was avoided by practitioners of this new great fall as well, a wilderness too savage, savage with beasts when I had last visited. Now, with the great fall, recall worse than innocent animals, roamed the shanty towns that dotted the perimeter of the nature lands. My brother Dura had gone into this pristine forested wilderness. Of all my siblings, I was closest to him. He was most like a big brother, big and boisterous and larger than life. For a time, much to the consternation of mother, he had started his own congregation. But always with him, everything was just a lark, a riotous escapade for the thrill of the moment. But I knew Dora better than that. Someone had struck a blow against him and his people, strong enough to make him retreat the public arena, to retreat so far back as to leave society entirely and dismiss his own labors as a lark. My war staff decantata started directionally beeping into my auditory contacts implanted next to my tympanums. A quick beep told me there was telemetry data waiting for me. I blinked my inner eyelid once, and the data streamed across at 35 words per second. I started to get uncomfortable reading combat shorthand at speeds faster than 40 words per second. I want to keep it simple going into combat. My war staff sent a direct readout to my eyes. Atmospheric anomaly detected. 24 parts ammonia to 1 million parts other. Ammonia. Ammonia meant there were cell arthro infected coming my way. I froze, listening. A moment of rustling that stopped. Almost as soon as I had stopped. Almost. I clearly made out the extra step or two they took in the fallen Blanca leaves. I lifted and gradually tilted the staff as I slowly, silently swung it above my head that exposed the sensors along the shaft to various angles of input. 
I chose to risk a battlefield reading before they had nailed my position. The motion itself served as a command to Decantanta to prioritize analysis of the environment for battle. Two rotations of the staff should be enough. I crouched down. The forest floor was littered with dried blanca leaves resembling a late fall snow but made of crunchy, noisy white leaves. They began moving. It was useless to crawl or walk silently. They tried to remain hidden, but I could hear the crunch, crunch, crunch of their approach. I planted the staff to the ground and assumed the pole vault grip. Immediately, Decantana flexed, almost like a bow under my weight. I pushed off. The bottom of my staff exploded, muffled by a silencer, but still a large whoomph. I was propelled through the air about twenty meters straight up. Then another thrust burst from the staff, which pushed me forward as I started a controlled fall. It was enough to push me at least twenty meters behind their predicted location. I landed hard, and of course the flarken leaves prevented any quiet landing as I rolled to a stop behind an ancient blanca tree, gnarled, heavy bark, two meters wide. Excellent cover for me. The count from my initial telemetry was three hostiles. I peered around from my new position. Two of the three were plainly visible now. They were physic, strong bodybuilders outfitted with automatic rifles, silencers, projectile type 3 class, which meant their ammo was not shelled explosive or shelled toxins, possibly fragging ammo or piercing, military grade. These were no common thugs, definitely professionals. They were looking around at the unexpected sound behind them, unsure whether I was still at my old location and this new sound was a possible new intruder they would have to deal with while attempting to assassinate me. I started to roll behind the ancient Blanca tree, and one of the two saw me and let loose. <laughs> one tore through my shoulder blade, and another tore through my lungs. My friend, Mr. Blanca, stopped the other eight in his hardwood trunk. It was amazing just how fast a punctured lung made it incredibly hard to breathe. Incredibly painful to breathe. Worse, my labored, agonized intakes of breath acted like a dinner bell for my pursuers. They were too good to mess around with. If I were them, the next attempt would be a death-dealing grenade as a wrap-up. I had to respond in kind now or I'd be dead. I levered myself up against my tree friend and reposited my grip on Decantanta. Speaking a word of command, 3EG7, targets 3C and 3E. Unfortunately, I didn't have a bead on the other one yet. Probably the leader. Flargan! My knee slid to the ground. Even that small impact shot a lance of pain in my side and chest and caused me to take another giant, wheezing intake of breath. Flark, I had to hold on to segments 5 and 6 for this maneuver to work. Time, time, time. I am out of time. They know where I am. Barrels 4 and 7 sprung free as my staff collapsed in my hands into three sections. I held bars 5 and 6 at the center. The two new staff parts were topped by segments 4 and 7. Four to the left of me and seven to my right. Six internal barrels on segment four to my right. Six barrels also now exposed on my left side with segment seven. Twelve guided needlers exploded straight up in the sky. By the time they were six feet into the air, they were invisible to my naked eyes. Only Decantanta's telemetry tracked them. They locked on in groups of three so that each target received fatal shots from each barrel in case one of the staff segments had misfired. I watched the readout play across my contacts. Apogee achieved. Targets locked. 100%. Orientation locked. Second stage explosive release. Targets contacted. 100% hit rate. BPM for target 1 is 0, 0.00. BPM for target 2 is 0, 0.00. Hit rate 100%.
I risked a peek around the tree. Both physic targets were collapsed on the forest floor, dead. A moment later, the unexploded grenade they were about to hurl at me went off, lighting them both in a massive gelatinous funeral pyre that would burn hot for days if not put out. I slumped against the trunk of my friend. My wheezing was lessening as the nanite stabilized the foreign shrapnel and wove surgical flesh over the punctures. Those needlers took three years to develop and a significant drain on my personal wealth. But worth it. Most definitely worth it, I thought as I caught my breath. So close. I am so close to death right now. Because there was still one out there, over the roar of the fire and explosions, I couldn't hear anything, but then neither could my mystery assailant. There wasn't any trajectory from the needlers to give me away. They were stealth ammo. Time to go defensive, I decided, as I edged up tightly against the trunk of my big fat tree friend. I shifted my grip on my war staff, and she reassembled from a twin rocket launcher and back into Decantanta. Now I changed my hands from the tight grip next to each other on segments 5 and 6, and moved out to grip 4 and 7 respectively. I had better for what I'm about to do, or I'd be pulling back stumps for hands. Segments 5 and 6 spit out a coil of degenerated neutron wire, invisible to the eye, controlled by triangulating resonators in segments 10 and 1 at the far ends of the staff, dense enough to cut, shred, and disintegrate even when so thin as to be invisible to the naked eye. It whirled about me, an invisible cloud at the command of the master AIs in segments 5 and 6. Now, I just had to sit, rest, and heal, and listen to the ghoulish cracking of the fire 50 meters behind me. Moments later, I heard a sizzling buzzing sound, different from the crackle of the fire. Then I was pelted by a cloud of fine gray silt, the remnants of a disintegrated spike after it hit the supersonic microcoil. Decantanta's telemetry read into my contacts, plotting the angle and direction of the shot. A small pulse from the warstaff shorted the cloud and reduced its components to dust as the master AI had already calculated our plan and was feeding it to me through my eye contacts. I couldn't leave the wire behind and have animals getting sliced apart walking through the invisible microthread. That would be expensive to replace, but the microcoil cloud was essentially stationary. It could never keep up with the pole vault I was about to have to make. My thighs were cyber-enhanced, but not tremendously so, mostly speed adjustment. But the decantata assisted me as a pole vaulter. With the right command, barrels rotated out, chaining position, and segment 10 now had thrusters again. My jumping was enough to trigger it. I would have to endure the pain. Any attempt to get the nanites to block pain receptors would dull my reflexes. I vaulted 20 meters into the air. As I reached the apogee, Decantanta used the new vantage for a fresh reading and bingo. Aim thrusters popped from segment 10 and I was doing a controlled dive straight to a psych sniper unaware of my presence. He had set up high on an outcropping of a small natural waterfall. Like Bishop Lawrence, the sniper was a psych cast, but obviously a wholly different person from the good bishop. I watched his boggled eyes open in surprise as I landed and straddled him. I could have slapped the decantanta against his head, shattering his skull. It was tempting. I could barely see straight from the pain in my chest. But there was no need to kill, and I needed information. Instead, I wrapped the staff across his knuckles that gripped his rifle, shattering said knuckles. Those big bulbous eyes scrunched down in pain and teared up. He tried to scramble away. I did not want to kneecap him. Instead, I secreted out of my secondary throat hole the worm my nanites had been fashioning since I had left Salacris. This work was my copy arthro. It ended up being an almond color worm with rose-tipped ends. Each end of the three-inch worm had movable, hook-like legs to dig into the flesh. 
They were demons, the cell arthro. I pinched my copy from the throat hole and I told the sniper, Talk, or I am going to drop this little buddy right down your ear hole. My worm abetted my threat by opening its tiny ring mouth exposing needle teeth to latch on and shred whatever organs it could find. I expected him to lose his nerves, but my contacts were feeding me his biotelemetry and this guy wasn't rattled at all. Well, here's the science. Let's see if it works. I covered his face with my drone-sized palm and hoisted him off the ground. He cried in pain as his shattered knuckles moved as I hauled his body up. I placed the little leech suckler right on his ear hole and down it went, surprisingly quick. Now, I waited for the command spore and this sniper would be telling me why he tried to put rail in my head. Behind me, a deep, booming voice. Well, little brother, how ghastly. Dora! I spun around, still holding the sniper. The flopping of his arms as his hands banged against me caused the sniper to shiver once in pain and pass out. He stood there, slightly larger than life a satellite projected hologram actually dialed up through my own contact lens. Of course my war staff had not detected his presence. This was simply a fancy video call. These aren't mine, you know that. Not unless you were dealing with the cell arthro, Dora. Never, but what about you? What was that thing that came out of your throat hole? The latest soldier in the, as I was saying, that telemetry came in. System failure. The worm had been surrounded by cell arthro responders. Back to the drawing board the latest casualty in the war against the Selarthro. You see these troops? All infected. I'll send a cleanup crew. He had his hologram start to walk around me. <laughs> Dura was not surprised that there were cell infected on his perimeter. Dura was big, wider than I, but still half a handspan shorter than I. His voice was expansive and his grin infectious. By God, you are going to do it. You're going to try and take this fight to them. He shook his head ruefully. You crazy bastard. We have about 10% of the general population already infected. Some of them are infecting themselves. Some new kind of self-pleasure activity. A part of the Great Fall. They call it eating the worm. I whimpered. No. I couldn't. I couldn't really process that. Yes. He cut me off so he could continue. These are modified cell arthro specimens. Supposedly, they cut out the higher functions and gestalt effect of the parasite, who leaves within it some way of mildly and irregularly stimulating the pleasure center of the fore and hind brains. I thought I was going to puke. Haven't people seen the holographies of Salacris? Ha! <laughs> Gura, you are naive. They mourned Salacris for a few days and sent Wergild and supplies and candlelights and then moved on. This great fall came on slow, insidious from hidden corners. Then it became a social tidal wave. It's hard to even find a downside. The pleasure center stimulation is irregular, so neural receptors have time to recover and a body can refuse it. It's called focusing. They call it focusing, he caught himself. So you can be a functional worm head. Nobody has to know but you. I said carefully, you sound like you approve. Have you ingested one? <laughs> he almost doubled over. No, no, this is targeted at young ones, one to ten years out of castigenesis, when people feel immortal and rock-headed. And this stuff, no one knows where it is engineered at. 
And can anyone truly say there are not microbial sleeper components to it? How many variations of this pleasure worm are there? No, most people avoid it like a plague. But then again, who knows? There's no inexpensive test for it. It doesn't cause social disruption. It's a hidden pleasure, hidden to everyone but the imbiber. So they say, what's the harm then? All who did this to themselves, it's an outrage. Worse, worse, because they chose to do it. The congregations, we laughed, sure. Congregates aren't partaking. Well, <laughs> at least we don't think so. Perhaps a few of the ones most like the Great Fall Syndrome. But we have half the congregants who act no different than those declared a member of the Fall. They live without adoratio and only perfunctory momentary praxis. Great fallers in all but name. So, yeah, a good many of the congregants are probably infected too. Still want to take the fight to the Cell Arthro girl? Maybe recall. No! I almost shouted. I wanted to cry. The idea of being left planet site, the star map burned in my pocket. No! I believe I know their point of origin into the Triskelion. We must take the fight to them. Infiltration is what they do best. I want to give them a hammer blow. You are decidedly short on hammers and hammer wielders. What do you intend? My ragtag bunch can't be of much service. Why not? You can't say you're okay with these pleasure seekers, and you have active cell arthro infected on your wilderness borders. Gura, I can't strike a hammer blow. I don't believe that is the way. Your star map is a goose chase. My wilderness retreat is an alternative to the Great Fall. Those who have left strict congregations can come here without a rule book other than the golden rule and mean. My people are growing, and projections look good for me. The wilderness on our call, both natural and sociological, is larger than anyone suspects, but I still lack legitimacy. I didn't see how his wilderness differed very much from the Great Fall. But I said, the right of institution, when the bishops declare us founders, is that what you are waiting for? Yes. Our mother expects that to be soon. I have to be planetside. My forces have to be planetside. When the royalty bells begin clanging, me and mine will enter the streets. Let Queen Thora have her puppets. Puppets? His voice lost any warmth, suddenly became menacing and hateful. Oh, naive, off-world ambassador. Oh, simple, mighty warrior. Dora mocked me. Your brothers and sisters, they're all in my way, vying for her favor, and through her, the bishops. Whoever ascends to the new throne will have her on their right side. But I, I am working outside the congregation, an invisible army. I threw up my hands in disgust and said, I can't get arms here and I can't stay here. Every sibling I talk to is embroiled on the planet. Call me simple. I will make war alone with my war staff if necessary. I will force this issue to our mother's face. Now, Dora grew quiet and menacing. Brother, desist. None of us will help you. The throne is about to be declared. Dora, our mother, has influence in the congregations. She could supply me with troops, troops that I need now. Are you mad, Gora? You have no following at all. 
You've played ambassador for the bishops. Everyone thinks your only angle to the throne is as a complete puppet to the bishops. Dora, I was not idle in my youth. Dora gestured at the bodies around me. I see that, Gora, but not every problem can be smashed with the hammer or the staff. If I can secure Thora, what do you have to offer her? Myself, my position. I don't care for the throne. You would choose? Dora was shocked. I could see how shocked he was by that assertion that anybody could possibly not care about the throne. You would choose to be a puppet? Abdicate to Thora? Again, I ask you, Gora, are you mad? You would be targeted by all of us by charging into Thora like this. There is a delicate balance right now. Again, I tell you, you must not approach Thora with such an offer. I must. Salacris. My telemetry alarms kicked in. Dora. Dora slowly spread his arms in a gesture of sadness. I'm sorry, brother. I cannot have that. His image winked out. Telemetry gave me just seconds before Dura's missiles would land. I dug through a pocket for a small flap that expanded in contact with air. An oxy mask, I slipped it on. Decantanta was already in pole vault position. The ground shook with the impact as Decantanta launched us into the air. Segment 10 had 6 of 10 Q fuel charges remaining. I'd need a recharge if I survived this. One vault. Two vaults. Three vaults. Yeah. Napalm explosion. Rapid expansion. Vault. Closing. The fire's closing. Vault. I can hear the roar now. How much was Dora willing to lay waste to kill me? I could see the brown wall that marked the border of the nature lands and the edge of congregational territory. I could feel the heat on my back. Vault. At the parabola was where I lost the race. I succeeded in outrunning the fire, and looked like I would fall just short of congregation territory, but I could not outrun the heat blast wave. I burned, my skin crisped as I fell to the ground. The pain. I smelled my flesh cooking. My arm that held the decantanta shriveled and lost its strength. I watched her fall to the ground as I flailed about, falling and crying in pain. I smacked into the brown wall. I should have lost consciousness, but my nanites were busy. Escape was paramount, and my internal cybernetics have routines to keep me conscious. 99% of my consciousness was nothing but pain. I was engulfed in the cloud of my own nanites as they streamed out my nose, eyes, and lymph nodes, and throat holes, as my mother nights began devouring my muscle and fat to release new repair nanites into the air. 600 yards away, the decantanta began segmenting itself, a flexible half-circle moving end over end, leaving scorch marks wherever segments 1 or 10 touched the ground. I pulled myself up using the border wall as leverage. I watched the great charred swatches of my skin flutter to the ground as I moved. I needed water. The nanites were using all my reserves. Five minutes passed. Decantanta reappeared, vaulting across the field. Now at least I could defend myself even in my weakened state. Ten minutes and all was quiet, but for the birds, insects, and raptors still fleeing the area, the buzzing of my nanites subsided just as the gray mist cloud around me subsided. Dora must have thought he got me in that giant explosion. 
none of my other siblings would have had a chance in the seven hells of surviving such a massive explosion. Doubtless Duro was dealing with the aftereffects of such an incredibly public and destructive move. I walked toward the tourist entrance. A precast girl gasped as she saw me. She and her mother were at the far end of the colossal fountain that spanned from the nature lands through the entrance and into congregation territory. They watched the blaze in the distance. I flopped into the decorative water fountain and drank. My siblings had proved their character. I had hoped, given the fall of Selacris, they would be moved. But they and the whole planet saw Selacris as a distant problem. A cautionary tale, perhaps, but not a real event. They had turned the Selarthro into playthings and abandoned Praxis. The shuttle landed next to me, a Daimler Opal, a woven human vehicle built for speed and a statement of luxury and craftsmanship. I climbed in, pulling my war staff behind me. There were other resources left in the universe, but not just yet. I had not exhausted my people. You failed, Dora, whether you know it or not. You didn't want me to go to Thora? Well... That is the only place you have left me for answers, for this loss of Praxis, for this great fall, for the Cell Arthro on Recall. For all this, there must be a reckoning, Mother. End of Triskelion 13, A Ronin on the Recall Throne World.